Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show. Yeah, it's my best chase impression. This is the Fizzle Show. This is our chance to help freelancers, creatives, and independent entrepreneurs by sharing the nuts and bolts of building a small business and how that works. This is actionable, articulate, and often entertaining conversations about running a business in the modern world. This is our podcast, but it's yours for independent business builders where we share our lessons learned from earning a living online for the last several years. Your hosts are Steph Crowder, who's the Director of Member Success here at Fizzle, Corbett Barr, who's our experienced, loving CEO, who's done everything from venture-backed startups to blogs and bootstrap businesses. And then there's me, Barrett Brooks. I head up growth and marketing around here. And of course, let's not forget the lovable Chase Reeves, the heart and chutzpah creative director of Fizzle. He's out one more time this week as he travels Europe with his wife celebrating their anniversary. We hope you miss him a little bit, but not too much. As a team, we run Fizzle.co, a website full of training courses and the small business roadmap to help you run and grow a small business that you can believe in. But perhaps more importantly, Fizzle is, at its heart, a thriving community of independent entrepreneurs who truly won't let you quit once you get started. You can try your first five weeks for free on us when you go to fizzle.co slash try five. That's completely free. We ask for a little bit of credit card information, but that's so that you can stick around if you want to and you can cancel anytime. So be sure to give that a try if you're into it fizzle.co slash try five. In this episode, we're going to cover the nuts and bolts of email marketing. We did that once before on the show back in episodes 44 through 47, but we felt like it was time for a little reboot and update. What is email marketing like today? Is it still relevant for business? And what are the different tools you should be considering when you uh, tackle email marketing in your business? Those are all things we tackled today. And you can follow along at home at fizzleshow.co slash one three And I will be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. Uh, What do you say we we get started? (laughs) I say let's get started. (laughs) Corbett, what's going on in your world this week? What's going on in my world this week? Well, (laughs) do not make me laugh. No. Because, I'm going to try really hard, because I, I strained, I think it's a muscle that like goes between your ribs or something, and uh, subsequently... Sleeping, uh, sitting, sneezing, laughing, coughing, working out, they all are excruciatingly painful right now. So try not to make me laugh, Barrett. Yeah, I'll try, uh, try my best. Hey, uh, it's, it's actually probably in my favor because you sure didn't make me laugh last time. <laughs> uh, oh, man, that's a good one. Steph, how about you? What's up in your world? You guys are not going to hear enough about the Cubs being in the playoffs, so I'm going to keep talking about it because I'm really excited, and the Cubs could beat the Cardinals as the day we're recording this, and I'm very excited about that as a sports fan in Chicago. They could be, although I happen to glance at the score, stuff, and I think they're, they're down right now. <sighs> I'm not Those letting Chicago myself watch Chicago sports it, teams, kidding. man, they've really been good in the playoffs lately. It's true. <laughs> it is true. Oh, man. Sports world in my world is just not good, so we're not even going to go there. But, yeah. Uh, Yikes. I'm going to skip the personal update and just say, hey, let's get into it. 
Let's Barrett, do it. What are we talking about personal, today? Barrett. Yeah, today. We don't want to hear anything we... about you anyway, Barrett. That's good. That's good. Don't worry about it. You'll get enough of it throughout the episode. Hey, so uh, we got some decent feedback on last week's episode. We did. It was like, hey, you guys didn't blow it without Chase being there. Yeah, Pretty surprising. Chase gave gave us the thumbs up of approval, I think. He did. I love that he uh, he just took over the Fizzle uh, Twitter handle and was like, I wasn't there, but they did all right, they I did suppose. Okay. By the uh, way, I'm Chase. <laughs> and uh, for people listening to this, FYI, in case you're confused, our uh, illustrious, fearless show host, Chase Reeves, is once again, same. He's out, Europeing. Out in Europe with his wife for their 10-year anniversary. Just and uh, gallivanting around Paris. We should link in the show notes to Chase's YouTube channel because he's actually been filming a lot of videos. Yeah, his daily vlog. I wonder how that's going over. I love, I his, I love his updates. <laughs> I've, Chase, I've watched every one and they're great. They've been uh, amazing. He would love nothing more than for you to tune in to his uh, shenanigans across Europe. So yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes. All right. Um, cool. I suppose I should keep a show notes note here since I didn't do that last week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on, Barrett. All right. So today on the show, what are we going to talk about, guys? We're going to talk about email marketing. Um and the reason we're going to talk about email marketing, we've done it before. There were episodes, I think, 44 through 47 of the show. We talked a lot about email strategy, both email marketing and personal email. So we talked about things like inbox zero and email marketing tools to use and strategies for growing your list and all that kind of good stuff. But it's been over a year and a half since we talked about email marketing as a topic. And one of the most common things we see in the Fizzle forums is people coming again and again and asking some of the same questions around tools and strategies and forms and segments and all of the different stuff that comes with email marketing. So today, we're going to tackle five or six of those common questions that we hear most often from our customers so that you know what to do with your email marketing efforts for your business in 2015. Sound good? Yeah. Sweet. The other thing that I have to say about today's episode is that if I think of a joke, I'll try and be silent long enough to take it very seriously so that there's comedic relief from it and not just a half-arsed effort at a Comcast ad, which I might have to say could become one of the all-time great uh, moments of poor delivery on the show. It, it was pretty good. I, I like that you're taking an analytical approach to being funny. I, I have a feeling it's going to go over really well already. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll see how it goes. That's the, that's the key to great comedy, right? Yes, that is the key to great comedy, is planning well, and then the uh, timing and delivery is everything on uh, comedic efforts. So we'll see how it goes. Um, all right, team. So, Steph, do you do you think he has like some jokes stored over there that <laughs> well, he's... <laughs> I, like, are you picking up on this like radio voice he's got going on? I don't know what this like joke This whole Barrett. thing, yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> It's good. I'm pretty. I'm feeling a little nervous. I also mm-hmm. feel excited. This is gonna be good. Well, it's like you've there's tension. There's a uh, comedic tension oh, building. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. good. Yeah, and you're just waiting for it to drop. Oh my god. I hope Chase is listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. So let's take kick off this uh, email marketing dis- discussion with: Does email marketing even still matter today? Is it still an important tool for businesses, and is it something that people like our customers and like our audience should be paying attention to? Let me put it this way. I sure hope so, because we're dedicating a whole episode to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the answer is no. Let's move on. <laughs> we're done. You, you guys got anything else to talk about today? Nailed it. That's it. Uh, well, no, and I guess really. so. So, yes, obviously it's relevant. Maybe we should ask more along the lines of um, how relevant is it exactly. compared with everything else? Yep. So, how relevant is it 
to us at Fizzle? Like, how much time do we spend on email marketing versus other things? Let's see. In terms of like our overall marketing efforts, I'd say we spend a relatively small amount of time on email right now, at least. But that's not for lack of emphasis on that channel as a way to get in touch with customers. So um, all of our blog posts, all of our podcasts go out to our entire email list uh, if they've opted into those. So as new things are published on the Sparkline and on the Fizzle Show, those go out to our audience via an RSS email. And then uh, we also have a weekly summary RSS feed that goes out that kind of summarizes everything we've published at Fizzle throughout the week to a list of people who say, hey, I raised my hand and I only want to get hear from you weekly, basically. Right. Um, we've also talked about a lot of potential email projects in the future, too, where we would really drill down on uh, targeting different segments of our audience with content that's relevant to them and really making sure that they're getting what they came for out of Fizzle. So. I don't think that it's for lack of emphasis or lack of importance of email marketing that we're not spending a lot of time on it, but it's nice that we have a good system set up where it's kind of doing the work for us. Well, we also use it, um, just to add one more thing, we use it as a way to engage our customers on a weekly basis with our This Week in Fizzle email as a way to summarize all the best things that have happened uh, in the Fizzle world, whether it's our blog, podcast, best conversations from the week. So obviously from my perspective, since that's something that I do on a weekly basis, so it's fresh at the top of my head, but I think it's a great way to potentially get in touch with your customers and, and highlight what's been going on in a community if you have a community as part of your business. Yeah, so marketing to existing customers, mm-hmm. which right. is important as well because yeah. we have to win their business every month. Totally. And um, those emails, Steph does a, a great job uh, choosing a headline for them and they get open rates of upwards of 50%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's often. been great for our business, definitely. And and I like that because it kind of redefines what marketing means, what email marketing means. And I think that in a business like ours where we have recurring revenue, Keeping people engaged is just as important as bringing people in the door because a, a customer month paid is a customer month paid, whether that's an existing customer or a new one. Yeah. And we'd much prefer to keep people around for longer than to go find new people. And so, a strategy like that, where we're proactively engaging people, whether it's with a weekly summary email like that or using a tool like Intercom, which we might talk a little bit about later, those are all good ways to be engaging an audience. And then Corbett, you're using email uh, on your own site too, which is kind of related to Fizzle with your new yeah. newsletter. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you know if if you if you think about all the different channels that are out there, email is still special in a lot of ways because it's one of the only things you can push into someone's inbox or into a place where people are spending an inordinate amount of their day. Right. So um, the inbox is a sacred place. We all check email multiple times a day. Or most of us do. Yep. And um, when someone opts in to receive something from you, you have the opportunity to push messages to them, which is not true of Twitter or Facebook or whatever, because you can post something on Twitter and quickly it just gets pushed down in the feed and people aren't likely to see it unless they happen to be on at that time. Um, whereas with email, most of us tend to read them sequentially and we kind of go through and and um, and look at each one and, and deal with it. So it's a sacred channel. And I guess if you talk about email marketing versus blogging versus podcasting versus social media and all the different channels, um, I think it's safe to say that we've seen some of the greatest results or returns on our effort from email. And we did spend a lot of time in the beginning um, building the the email list that we have up to, you know, the tens, many tens of thousands of people subscribed. Um, and now it's just sort of part of the engine that that keeps 
bringing people back. If somebody comes and reads a blog post, if you're lucky enough to write something on Twitter, they see that post, they click on it, they come to your blog post. If all they do is read your blog post and move on, then you miss an opportunity. With um, with email, if you can get them to subscribe, then you start to grow over time. You add people to your list, and then you send them your latest blog post, and maybe they share it with other people, and then maybe some of those people come and subscribe, and it just grows over time. So email um, is one of the cores of our business. And now with my new effort called Lifestyle Business Weekly, um, email is really the center of that. Mm-hmm. I send a weekly um curated email full of useful links and resources for people who are building small independent businesses. And uh, I build a show around that, um, including video and a podcast as well. And I chose that because email is is super powerful. And um, you look around and you see a lot of businesses that are built almost entirely on email newsletters. Yep. Um, there are companies like The Skim. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever seen yep. that one. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Steph, in... in um, you probably see a lot of these that are aimed at women as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. The yep. skim, the skim, sort of is. It it has kind of a. It seems like a female appeal, but you read it and it's just like it kind of just sets your day. It gives you like things to talk about mm-hmm. basically yeah. in the morning, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's that one, and I also really like just as an aside. I like the one from the week, which is the top ten things you need to know today. I I look at that every day, like with my coffee. So I think those are awesome. Yeah, and think about that, right? It's like you could. Go pull up a website uh, like The Atlantic or or Quartz or something and read news. But when it comes to your inbox, it just becomes more of a ritual, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. And I know I have some that I, I look forward to every week from brain pickings or from Dave Pell um, and every day, actually, from people like Fred Wilson. So it's just it, it still is relevant and powerful. And I think if anybody's thinking about building an online business, email still needs to be at the heart of their strategies. Yeah, I think so too. And I think we're seeing kind of across the web a little bit of a revival of email marketing as a tool as data becomes more available and we're able to segment our audience and find information about the people who have asked to hear from us. And it allows us to send... Um, kind of tailored messages to different groups of people that make it feel much more personal. It's kind of this act of mass customization of our email strategies. And so, you know, you look at people like Pat Flynn and others who are really going back and revamping their entire email strategy to really be more personal to their audience and make them feel like the content that they're getting is tailored for them and not just this mass message that's going out to a massive email list, which I think can be a huge win. And so, you know, when I ask myself this question, is email marketing relevant today? Um, absolutely. I think it's more relevant than ever. And as we have more and more access to tools as small business entrepreneurs, it gives us the chance to do what big businesses used to do exclusively in targeting our customers and making them feel love from us uh, based on what they like and what they want to hear about from us. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think it's totally relevant, but I also completely understand why topics around email marketing continue to be some of the most popular in our forums or people reach out to us with questions about it because honestly, it's confusing. I know know we're going to talk about all the different tools that are available, but then there's also another host of questions, which is like, what goes in the email? Is it the same as a blog post? Is it a Mm -hmm. newsletter? Is it a, do I have to add separate value if I'm going to be in people's inboxes? So there's just so many questions that, and it's very, I think, mystified for a lot of people too, in terms of how to make it worthwhile and not lose subscribers once you do get them. 
I think so. And I think if we can kind of bring a beginner's mind to some of these topics as we go through the rest of the episode, that'll probably be helpful to people because yep. when you are just getting started, it does just seem like black magic a little bit, I think, yeah. how all these things happen and how you can in, uh, integrate it in with your business. So, And yet it's interesting to think about how little things have changed right? Um, in the past six or eight or 10 mm-hmm. years even. Yeah, right. in some ways that's true for sure. Um, all right, so let's jump in with... Uh, Let's just start at the top with tools. So there's so many tools available. I'm sure that they've changed on some level since the last time we had this conversation. Uh, while at the same time, many of the companies have just kind of consolidated and become more of the A players in this field. So when you think of email marketing tools, what are some of the things that that uh, come to mind for you? Well, if you listen to any podcast these days, I'm sure that you think of MailChimp, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think they're, I don't know for sure, but they seem to be the biggest player in the market, they seem to be kind of the default choice, um, if only because they offer a free plan, which allows you to build up to a couple thousand subscribers, yep, I think. I think 2,000 maybe. There are um, some limitations to it, but it's a great way to get started, especially if you're not sure if your email marketing efforts are going to take off. You can use MailChimp for free for quite some time um, before you have to start paying. And even when you do start paying, it's it's somewhat reasonable in the beginning. So uh, MailChimp is certainly... Um, my top choice, and I think it's our our primary recommendation to people. We talk about it quite a bit because it is so simple, and uh, at the same time, it does have so much power and so many options that we still use it today um, at Fizzle, and we do quite a bit of things with email, some of which are fairly complicated. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, you know, I think when you when you think about defaults, you think of Mailchimp, and part of that uh, also out there in the world, outside of our business at Fizzle, is the fact that they were just on the front, kind of cutting edge of um, podcast ads. Them and Squarespace and a few other companies got out in front of that whole market and got a little bit lucky with getting in on some popular shows that really spread their name far and wide to audiences that might not have been interested or known about them otherwise. So they've done a good job there, and we just. I think we really respect their brand and the way that they kind of carry their business and everything yeah. outside of their functionality from a tool standpoint. Totally. We also love MailChimp. And this is true of other uh, email companies as well, but a lot of them tend to be bootstrapped and they tend to be more lifestyle oriented. So the companies themselves are fairly impressive. MailChimp uh, never raised any capital any outside capital, nope. right? And they're a huge player. Um, how many employees do they have now, Barrett? Uh, I think they're coming up on 500 employees now. Yeah. Wow. Um, so they're a great story. And um, and so we just like to support them in general, aside from having a great tool. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So kind of classically online, I think a lot of people have heard a lot about Aweber. That was one of the big players, especially if you look back three, four years, that was what a lot of our peer group was using. That was what, uh, they had a big affiliate program, I think, that caused them to grow some, especially in this space of small online business. Um, I would say that they're a comparable tool to MailChimp. They have kind of some pluses and minuses as far as what they offer and don't offer uh, as compared to MailChimp. But they're kind of a run-of-the-mill. They have basic functionality. You can do automation and some of the other things you can do with MailChimp and some of these other tools, but they're out there too, so that is an option. So before we jump too far down this rabbit hole, some people might be asking like a really simple question right yeah. now, like why do I need one of these tools? Can That's I just, true. Can't I just email people mm-hmm. generally? Right. Um, so, so why would that be, Steph? I mean... I think, well, it's hard. In the beginning, you certainly can. Um, But to be able to manage your contacts, I think MailChimp is, or any of these 
at all are great ways to allow people to subscribe. That's the other thing. So one of the first things that we recommend when we help people with their websites, if you um, you know, if you're in Fizzle and you want to take a really basic web design course, we have one of those available. One of the first things we look at is giving people an opportunity to pick up more of what you're putting down in the form of subscribing to your email list. So there's really no way to tell the tell you that they want to hear more from you if you don't have a way for them to easily put their email in. So I think that's maybe the key thing. That's um, Yeah, that's definitely key. Another key, I think, is um, the whole unsubscribe function yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. If you put a bunch of people in a Gmail list and re- and repeatedly email them and don't give them the opportunity to opt out, they would just have to reply, I guess. Um, and I've been subject to some of those. Yes. And they're kind of annoying. Still am on some days and it is very annoying. Right. So on some level, this is a question of legality, right? I mean, in Gmail, you can only send 500 emails at a time to begin with. So uh, starting there, you know, if you had more people paying attention, it would be annoying to do it. But beyond that, once you move, I think from a personal relationship to a business relationship, like we're talking about here, there is legality involved and you have to give people an option to unsubscribe uh, based on the Can Spam Act or whatever it was called. And so people have to have the chance to say, no, I don't want to hear from you anymore uh, or else you're doing it wrong. And you could get uh, lawsuited over that, I suppose, if someone was really feeling passionately annoyed with you on a given day. Yep. But I think if they're, you know, to go back to the original question, which is why do I need to even use one of those? If someone's asking that, I actually don't think that's a bad question to be asking because it suggests that you want your email marketing to have a personal touch to it. And I think that's great. Those are my favorite, you know, newsletters that I've subscribed to when I really feel like someone is talking directly to me, like we're sitting down at a coffee shop or something and it feels more personal. So I think that 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 spirit should still absolutely be in mind. And I think it's very easy to get caught up with all the fancy features we're going to talk about, I'm sure, in this episode, such as segmentation and autoresponders and email series. And it's very easy to get swept away when, especially if you're just starting out, I think the, the simple thing is be of value and be, you know, be personal about it. Just because you're using a MailChimp or any of these other tools that we're going to talk about doesn't mean that it has to feel like super, you know, educational or impersonal. I think it's important to not lose that piece. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that goes back to having, if you're an individual business owner, having a personality, having a voice that you're kind of adopting for your business, or if you're a brand, having a brand voice, having kind of a brand message and a way that you filter all of your messages through this kind of personality of the brand. And I think we've developed some of that at Fizzle too, where you really want your email strategy to reflect what people have come to expect from you or what you hope they will come to expect from you over time as far as personality and friendliness and and uh, just the overall look, feel, and message that you're sending along to them throughout all of this. Yeah, and, and, and one way to do that, and we'll talk about automation, I guess, in a bit, but one way to do that is to add a custom message to your email, even if you're going to be sending out uh, a blog post or something. um, If you can add something that is unique specifically to that email where you're just saying, hey guys, I wanted to send you this because I thought, you know, I thought you would like it because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. It's a personalized note like that. That goes a long way. And I think that gets to what Steph was talking about when you get that sort of, you know, it feels like somebody's talking to you or writing to you. Definitely. Yep. A um, couple other tools here that I have down uh, that I know we hear people talking about regularly are uh, kind of a newcomer to the scene built by a friend called ConvertKit. Uh, it's built by Nathan Barry. He's got a founder story inside of Fizzle. 
uh, ironically, not about ConvertKit, but uh, he built a successful business before this and then yep. parlayed that into an email marketing company. He's gotten a lot of great traction lately. I think he's getting a lot of buzz. Pat Flynn switched over to him and a uh, number of other big names. And I think that's led to a lot of adoption for him. And he kind of built it with uh, what we would call the teacher archetype, teacher business archetype in mind. Uh, if you don't know about archetypes, you can go back to whatever episode that was. We'll link to it in the show notes and listen to uh, the 10 business archetypes that we kind of think about in terms of online business at Fizzle. But uh, Nathan built the features out of ConvertKit, really targeting teachers who are trying to sell ebooks or courses or uh, kind of teach what they know online. And he created that with them in mind so that they can build an email strategy that teaches and leads people towards their products and the different um, things they have available online for their audience. Yep. So then a couple others are uh, Infusionsoft, Get Response, Active Campaign. These are all competitors, campaign I would say. Campaign Monitor. Campaign Monitor. Yeah. There's a million of them. Yeah. And uh, I think what's more important than knowing what the different tools are is knowing what you're trying to accomplish with your email marketing strategy in your business. So I think the best question for us to ask, and we'll link to all these tools and everything if you want to check them out, but the best question to ask is, what do I want to use email for? And so when we think about the different strategies you can use through email, we've talked about a couple. It could be engaging customers like we do with our This Week in Fizzle email, or it could be a, a newsletter, so exclusive content that you're sending to an audience every week or every day even. What are some other strategies that you can use email marketing for within your business? Well, this is, I think a lot of people probably wonder like, okay, I got, I, I have a subscribe form people are on my list, now what do I email them? Right. right? Or how often do I have to email yeah. them? And um, beyond thinking through like newsletter and the the type of thing that you want to send them, you should also be asking like, okay, what's the end game here? Mm-hmm. What's the long-term strategy here? So the goal, I think, um, for us and, and many of our friends who build email lists is that um, you grow a list of people over time by delivering them value. Usually you're sending them content that interests them about a particular topic. Um, And through that, you're able to build a level of trust and familiarity that you can't otherwise. People, like I said, they might see you occasionally on Twitter or something, but that's not really going to get them to know and like you. If they receive an email from you every week or multiple times a week and they pay attention to those, then they're likely going to know a whole lot about you. And um, if they like you enough, they are more likely than others to actually hit the buy button if you have something for sale. And um, we've seen this over and over again whenever we launch uh, a new business or product, our email list was the first source of finding new customers. So in order to build that trust, though, you do have to send people things on a regular basis. Um, And frequency, I I think uh, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, Most people tend to send things weekly or, Mm -hmm. um, or multiple times a week. But the point is that you're there often enough so that they don't forget who you are and that you keep demonstrating value. And you can do that in a lot of ways, um, including just by sending a blog post via email that you've already written somewhere else. That's probably the most simple form. And that's something that we actually do, like you said, um, whenever we publish a blog post, that goes out to our uh, our list. Yep, 
So there's RSS driven stuff. So it would be basically, that's basically to promote the content that you're already writing and making sure that the people who have said they like hearing from you, making sure that they know that you've published something new. So that's kind of that RSS strategy. Then there's the newsletter one that we talked about. So sending exclusive content to that email list, which is a reason to opt in. And I think some of the best newsletters on the internet use that as a reason to give them your email address. And some of the worst use that as a bad reason to join the email list, where that's kind of become the generic go-to is join my weekly newsletter right. or whatever. And yeah. it doesn't actually mean that much when people say that. And I think there's a clear difference between that being the only thing you can come up with for someone to join your list and that being the true value proposition that you're right. offering people. Yeah, when it's it's a, a true value proposition, I think when your newsletter is unique. Yep. It's not uh, you know, it's not just a regurgitation of of a blog post right. or something. It's something that's unique. And um, the issue that I think you're talking about is when somebody has a subscribe box that just says "Join my newsletter." Period. Right. And there's no details about right. okay, what am I going to get? Yeah. What's in it for me? What's the unique value to this mm-hmm. newsletter? Um, and then there are others who do it really well, and we can link to some of those yeah. down below. But we talked about brain pickings, uh, which is a good one. We talked about the skim. We talked about. Um, Next Draft by Dave Pell. Um, and there are several others that we can link to who, who do it really well. And when you go to their website, you see a really compelling reason mm-hmm. to sign up. And then you know you have uh, news organizations too who will use newsletters as kind of a daily update. So the skim is an example of that, but you also have Vice News at the New York Times and all of these organizations who use email as a way to get news in front of you so that it brings you back to their site for the stories that are most interesting. And yep. it's kind of a personal way for you sometimes to opt into what your interests are and then get links to the resources that are most relevant for that. So newsletters is definitely an option on email. And then there's also the idea of teaching through email. So a lot of people who are uh, teacher archetypes online, they're selling courses, they're selling eBooks, they use email as a way to prove their expertise and build trust, like you said, Corbett, by sharing valuable information that's not publicly available or reorganizing publicly available content so that it's Organized in a format or in an order that people can get value out of. So you're talking about like a mini course, like That's a right. five day course on something. Right. So let's say email. that uh, like we wrote five posts on email marketing over the past two years or something like that, and they were spread out over once every four months. If we went back and grabbed all five of those posts and then tailored them into email content so that they were a cohesive course on email marketing, a public free course, and then said on a forum on our website, hey get this free five-day course on email marketing basics or something like that. It would be a great way for us to build trust. And then then at the end, we could do something like pitch our email marketing course inside of Fizzle and try and convince people to sign up with us as a result of that. So teaching can be a great strategy through email as well. Yep. Um, What are some other ones? Anything else uh, as far as email is concerned? Well, uh, you can send um, guides or eBooks or something like that. That's something that we do at Fizzle. So if you go to fizzle.co slash guides, you'll see that we have several, uh, including our top 10 mistakes in starting an online business. We have our defining your audience guide, our Gumroad quick start guide. And then we have uh, something called the 30-day just ship it challenge, which is sort of a, a guided course in a way, but it's um, it's really meant to be a challenge or a workshop where mm-hmm. over 30 days, people are getting messages from us um, once every three days, and that guides them through a process right. for building a small first right. product. Yeah. And then if we think about uh, retailers and physical product makers, um, 
fashion brands, things like that, companies who make physical products tend to use email to let people tailor their kind of taste and style and then send them relevant products that might be on sale or that might be relevant for the season or something like that. So if you're on an email list for a company like, I don't know, I'll pick my favorite, Patagonia, you'll get an email once a month or something like that with their latest products, with the, you know, some news on their social initiatives, things like that. And there, the idea there is to kind of put some products in front of you that might be interesting and that could entice you to come back to the site browse a little bit, maybe add a few things to your cart and obviously make a purchase. So I think that the type of business also matters quite a bit when it comes to email strategy and what you decide to do with your email marketing. And it right. changes from business archetype to business archetype. Yeah. And you know, I would just add, I think those are all great ideas. As you're deciding what it is that you want to do with your email marketing, I think it's really helpful to just be an observer. And I'm sure if you're listening, you probably are subscribed to some newsletters yourself. We all are. I think it's really helpful to turn into your own inbox and figure out like, what is it that I like? You know, what, what, are some examples of people who really speak to me. So I'll give an example of something that I thought was really unique that was just this week. So you guys know I'm, I'm a big fan of Jess Lively at JessLively.com. And she did something really cool. She sent an email to all of her subscribers and basically said, what, what do you want to hear from me? Or what can I help you with? I think it was something like that was the subject line. And she literally was just asking her audience to ask her any kind of question that they wanted about career, relationship, lifestyle, anything. And she then recorded a podcast episode with 20 questions that people asked her. So I thought that was really cool. I mean, talk about being able to contribute to someone that you admire's work just by being in their inbox and having a personal conversation. I thought that was really unique and different. So I think it's important to think about what it is that your customers might want to kind of wow them if you're going to be in their inbox. So on yeah. some level, it's kind of like a, a two-way conversation and creating engagement with your audience and, and asking them to give you more information about who they are, what they want to hear from you, and why they're even there to begin with. Yeah, and that's um, that's an overlooked use of email. I think when Steph was talking earlier about just because you're using a, an email provider um, like MailChimp doesn't mean that you have to go all corporate yep. and, and faceless. One way to break that barrier is to have a conversation with people and to literally say, just hit reply and ask me a question. And then when you respond back to that, um, that really blows people away and, and they mm -hmm. realize that there's a real human there and, and that helps you stand out yep. from what they're, they're used to. So one of the reasons I think there are so many questions about email is that there are no right answers and there are yep. a lot of different ways to go about this. And, and this is true of business as well. Right. But I think the, the problem is when people fall into a pattern of just looking for the common patterns that everybody does, and then they just adopt that for themselves without thinking outside the box, to use a cliched term, about what they could do that might be a little bit different, like Jess did with, hey, how can I help you? That's really cool. Um, and there, there are no rules to this, and you can do whatever you think suits your audience best. And I think the more creative you get, the better off you're probably going to be and the more yep. trust that you're going to build right. because people see that you're a real person and you're not just following some playbook that some internet marketer wrote somewhere that's about right. how you're supposed to treat email. So that's yeah. one of the big questions I had here that we hear all of the time, all the time. And it goes something like, oh my God, I just watched this Periscope and my favorite blogger just switched to Infusionsoft or ConvertKit or whatever. And so now I'm going to switch, right? Like that's the only thing I should be doing in my business. I, I got to drop everything, all my plans and switch today to ConvertKit because that's what my favorite person did right. or to Infusionsoft because because that's what all the cool people are doing. Yep. And 
this really concerns me because what it does is you've now become subject to someone else's marketing strategy, basically, where they're teaching you what they're doing as a way to build influence and trust with you. And you're not, before you kind of ask that question in somewhere like the Fizzle Forums, you're not taking a step back and asking yourself, why would I do that? And what is the purpose behind all of my email marketing? So when someone has that feeling of, oh, I just found out about this new shiny thing, should I switch from my current email strategy to a new one or my current email marketing tool to a new one? What are some of the things or the questions they should ask themselves first? Well, first of all, I'd ask uh, whether or not whatever feature it is that they sold you on uh, for that particular tool, whether or not that truly doesn't exist anywhere else. We're in the market for a hot tub right now, and I was talking to a guy. Um, Completely related. He's been in the market for a hot tub for a while, Corey. I know, I know. It's really going to happen. We actually ordered one, finally. Um, however, I was talking to a guy about one particular version of a hot tub versus another one, and he's giving me a, a bunch of reasons why this hot tub is better than the other one, um, selling me on the fact that... Um, the heat is generated by the motor instead of a separate heater and that it's 110 volt instead of 220 and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And he's trying to justify why this thing should cost a couple thousand dollars more mm-hmm. than the one that we were looking at. And, um, and so we get off the phone and, you know, you kind of get excited about it. You're like, oh my God, you know, that, uh, that hot tub sounds amazing. You get off the phone with him and then the dust settles. And then I go and look up the stats on the other one and kind of research it. And they say the exact same thing, you know, for most of the features. And I think this is true of Infusionsoft or ConvertKit or MailChimp or whatever. They have to try to differentiate themselves somehow. Um, and often, you know, they do, or they, they build some features that are better than others. But at the end of the day, if you're evaluating any tool that's at the top of its game, and this is true of, um, email providers, it's true of um, plugins that you might use for WordPress, for membership site or whatever, it's likely that 90% of those features are covered in all of them. And then there are a couple of differentiating factors. But it's very unlikely that those two differentiating factors are going to make or break your business. Really what it's going to do is send you down this rabbit hole of evaluating all these different software. And then if you do decide to switch, it's going to take you a lot more time than you think. It's not like you just flip a switch there are all these other things that you need to do and you might go down a rabbit hole for a week or two that you could be um, spending building your audience and creating products and stuff. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my favorite motto on this is definitely if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think another example we see of this a lot from Fizzlers and, you know, people who ask us our opinion, people also ask, you know, I'm on Squarespace, do I need to switch to WordPress? Or I'm worried that I'm going to outgrow Squarespace or it's not going to work for me anymore. Or should I be on WordPress instead? And I think the answer to that is if it's, you have to evaluate, is it working for you? Does it serve your, your goals, both in the short and long term? And if it does, there's just no reason to get like shiny object syndrome when you see someone you admire using a different tool than you Especially do. Especially like if it, uh, an alarm should go off if you ever have that feeling but you don't specifically know why. Exactly. Yep, yep. Right? That's right. You just feel like you're, you have FOMO about right. some other software. Yeah. And yeah. so I think uh, decisions like this really should be driven by business strategy and the needs you have for your business. And so if you're taking a step back and you're saying, okay, I want email marketing to be one of the key channels I use to grow in the future. And I started with a free MailChimp plan when I set out to create a list. And now my business has grown a little bit. I'm making some money and I'm ready to really invest in a more advanced email system. So I want to set up automation and I want to give people the chance to give feedback 
back into that automation system where they tell me what kind of customer they are. And that's a good decision for me and my business. And it's going to lead to more growth over time. That's probably a good point to ask yourself, what are email best practices right now? What are the tools that allow me to accomplish those things? And given my goals in my business, which of the tools available to me will best help me achieve that goal? And if you're finding that the tool that you're on has most of those features and you can get most of it done, even if it's a little bit more difficult, sometimes it's better to stay put. But if you're finding that another tool has way more of those features and it's going to be significantly easier for you to execute on your own on your email strategy, that might be a good reason to switch over. But what's not a good reason is just because you hear someone else doing it and therefore you think that that's the hottest, newest thing that's going to lead to business success. Because in reality, that's probably not the case. Now, I can tell you um, from our own experience that uh, we have switched email providers a couple of times. Um, We first switched and and I use we uh, in the royal sense in yes, this case the royal because fizzle we're going sense. we're going way back in history uh, pre fizzle um, the email list that I had built which eventually uh, led to fizzle um, I switched from Mailchimp which I used initially because it was free to Aweber because there was a certain feature that Mailchimp lacked that Aweber had which allowed me at the time to um, let someone enter their email even though they were already subscribed so it would redirect them to a page where I had additional resources mm, for them. Mm. So this was a toolbox of resources right. that I was offering. And at the time, MailChimp just gave an error message saying you're already subscribed. So I wanted that feature and that's why I switched to AWeber and that served me fine. However, eventually AWeber uh, changed their user interface enough times that um, Chase's eyes started to bleed when he saw Aweber and and was forced to use it when he and I started working together. Coming from a design standpoint, MailChimp does a much better job with their user interface than Aweber does. And um, Aweber kept changing their interface and making it worse and worse. So we decided to switch back to MailChimp, mostly because um, we just believe in them more as a company and agree with their design philosophy a lot more. And it happened that they had added the features that were lacking before. So they kind of caught up on that front. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think the other question you have to ask yourself if you're thinking about changing providers is, do I have time to make effective use of this new tool any more than what I'm doing with my current tool? Right. And so it should be a project that you're embracing as something that you're really going to dive into and take on because it's important to your business, not because it's just this feeling you got one day when you woke up. Yeah. So really having the time and and resources and energy to dedicate to it is always uh, a good way to go into a project like that. One more note on tools. There are two categories of tools. There are best-of-breed tools Mm -hmm. like MailChimp, which does a really great job with uh, email. And then there are all-in-one tools like uh, Infusionsoft. And I've seen the pitch for things like Infusionsoft, and I understand the appeal. It's like, because it's integrated, because they offer not just email marketing, but payment processing and all of these other things, you can do some things with those tools that you can't do with a best-of-breed tool because it's not integrated with your payment processor as tightly. The issue with those, on the other hand, ends up being that there's significant lock-in on that platform because you've now built your entire infrastructure on that thing, and once you find out that 
they don't do something that you want. You can't just go plug in a best of breed tool. Right. You really have to dismantle the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and so it can be kind of a pain in the ass. And I know people who have regretted switching to all-in-one tools, not just Infusionsoft, but others because of that lock-in issue. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're just using best of breed tools, it's much smaller project to swap out an email provider or a payment processor or whatever when something new comes along. Right. Okay, so one of the big topics that people get confused on when it comes to tools, regardless of what the tool is, are these different terms that these email providers use for describing um, parts of a list or a list in Mm -hmm. general. So there's terms like your list, groups, segments, forms, subscribers, and all these things can mean different things across platforms. So at the most basic level, how should people be thinking about what these different terms represent and why are they important? And we should also mention that these terms are different on different platforms right. in some cases. Um, but just sort of in the generic sense, so the the smallest um, unit of measurement, I guess, in email terms is a subscriber, which is a single person who has given you their email list. And a subscriber uh, in in the simplest form is just an email address, but some of the tools track a subscriber more like a contact. Right. So you'll get some additional data about a person at a minimum, maybe their first and last name associated with their email address. So that's a subscriber. Yep. Okay. So ideally, you'd find a provider that gives you some information about your people. So it would be not only their email address, their name, and then maybe over time, like at Fizzle, we've built kind of data profiles on each of these people where we know what uh, eBooks they've subscribed to, what free courses they've subscribed to, things like that. So a subscriber is a person, basically. It's a person who's opted in to say, hey, I want to hear from you. Yep. So then when we talk about a form, that's basically the thing that somebody uses to give you their email address and other data online. Yep. And so what that does is it connects directly from your website to your email provider, and it sends the information over so that uh, number one, so that people can opt in, and number two, so that you can track that data over time and that you have a way to get back in touch with them. Yeah, right? so anytime you've subscribed to an email list on the web, that little box that you type your email address in in email provider speak is called a form. Yep. So then we get a little bit more confusing. So the difference between lists, groups, segments, and other terms like this, what what does that mean? I, I don't think you need to worry too much about the specifics. They're just different ways to group people together for different purposes. So in a really simple sense, it could be that you have one group of people who are buyers of a product of yours and another group who are not. In some email providers, those might be two different lists. In others, it might be one list and they're different segments of the same list. Mm -hmm. Um, MailChimp tends to use this concept of segments, meaning that an individual subscriber can belong to different segments and it's just about how you tag them saying that they bought this product or they downloaded this ebook um, or they're in Portland instead of Seattle or whatever right. it is that you want to segment them by. It just gives you a way to go and search for those subscribers so that you can send an email specifically to only people who bought this product and live in Seattle for example, if you wanted to. Um, That's an advanced use of email. And in the beginning, you 
probably aren't even going to worry about that, but it's nice to have that as an option, segmentation as an option. Right, absolutely. So let's just speak in terms of MailChimp as far as lists and groups and segments are concerned, because that's one of the most common questions we get. They're like, people log in, they look at their MailChimp list, and it's like, oh my God, so I have to divide into lists and then into groups and then into segments, and why would I do each one? So at the highest level, you have a list in MailChimp in particular. And we typically encourage people to maintain one master list of everyone. And the reason being that there's no crossover, at least in MailChimp, between subscribers on different lists. So once they're on two lists, then you have no way for them to opt out of both. Um, And it can get confusing, plus you're paying twice for them. So from a list standpoint on a tool like MailChimp, and there are equivalents in each of these tools, right, of a master list, My recommendation would be, unless you're running multiple businesses that are completely separate from one another, you should have one master list. In MailChimp speak. In MailChimp speak. And so the equivalent would be true across providers where you want to have one master place where you're keeping people, unless that's not an option. Unless, in some cases, like with Aweber, that's not an option. Right. Or it wasn't last time we used it. Right. So in MailChimp speak, there's groups and segments. Um, There's not a great way to describe groups and segments, but... Uh, What I'll tell you based on what I've read from uh, MailChimp's teaching blog is that groups are usually based on preferences that people tell you about. So it's information that they're giving you that's more psychographic related. So I like hearing about X, Y, or Z. So I'm opting into this group or whatever. There's also segments though, which are data-driven. And so that's like what Corbett was talking about is location or product buyers or whatever. Right. But at the end of the day, there's not that much difference really between the two. Yeah, so a group, for example, that we use in MailChimp is we allow people to decide how often they want to get emails from us. Mm -hmm. So they can get them immediately as they're published or they can get a weekly digest. And so that's an option that we can present to them so that if they they want to, they can go edit their profile and choose to be part of a different group, um, which refers to the frequency. A segment is something that the users or the subscribers don't see. You see the segments and you can build your own segments on the fly by saying, I want people who have been subscribed for more than 30 days. You can create a segment based on that. It's really just a, a query for you know existing right. subscribers based on the data that you have. So in some ways, a segment is almost fact-based where a group is preference-based. Um, yes. And here's an example of how you might use a segment. So um, we've talked recently about sending a reminder to our alumni that, hey, we're here in case you forgot about us. Yep. Uh, and so we have data within MailChimp that we send from our application to indicate whether or not somebody is an active member or whether they're an alumni or whether they've never been a member mm-hmm. of Fizzle before. And so we can send different messages to people based on those different states. Right, which is hugely valuable for someone like us where we want to be able to send this week in Fizzle to customers but not non-customers. Yep. Or we might want to get back in touch with alumni and tell them about new features at Fizzle to see if they might want to come back. And if someone's never been a customer, we might want to tell them about a webinar coming up or about something that we want them to know that customers might already know. Yep. So segments are very valuable for targeting your messaging based on what someone wants and needs from you at a given time. 
So I know that those can be confusing, but the biggest thing to take away from that conversation about lists and groups and segments and subscribers and forms is that they are tools to get a job done that you're trying to get done with your email provider and getting clear on what each of those terms mean for your specific tool that you're using is the first step and then accomplishing the goal that you're setting out to accomplish from there. Okay, cool. So let's talk a little bit uh, let's talk a little bit about forms. Um, forms are the kind of keyhole to people getting onto your email list and you have to make sure that that's accessible to them for them to be able to opt in. So when you think about places forms should be both on a website or external to a website for people to be able to opt in, where are those common places that people should be thinking about? Yeah, so I guess the most common ones that you see now are on the homepage, obviously, yep. of your mm-hmm. website, have some place for people to opt in. What else do you see, Steph, commonly? I mean, yeah, I think somewhere on the homepage for sure, I think it should be a good rule of thumb is it should be one of the most prominent features on your homepage, whether it's a hello bar or in like the right hand sidebar. I think the rule of thumb there is you want to make it really obvious to people what it is that you want them to do on your site. And if email marketing is going to be important to you, which it's important for a lot of people, you want to make it really obvious that that's, you know, that's what you want them to do. So homepage for sure. Also probably about page, I think is a great place to give people are learning a little bit more about you. If they like your mission and who you are and their interested in hearing more, you want to give them an easy opportunity on an about page to to hear more from you. Yep. yep. About pages are are very popular. Footers can often be a good place to mm-hmm. put them at the bottom of a site. And then I guess we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the topic of pop-up slide ends and every other kind of intrusive oh, yeah. form out there on the internet. So here's some facts about these things. They work. Number one, they increase subscriber rate on average when they're implemented over just a regular old form. And the reason is probably because you interrupt everything a person is doing to put your message in front of them and ask them to opt into your list. And so I think it would be irresponsible of us to tell you that they don't work because they do. Also, Uh, I think it's a huge kind of values-based decision about the experience you want to give your readers on uh, your site, whether you're going to implement a pop-up or a slide-in or whatever. And the rule of thumb I always go by is not that complicated for this kind of thing. And that is, what is the reading experience I want to have on other sites? And therefore, what's the reading experience I want to give my readers on my site? Because If you're willing to treat your readers differently than the experience you want to have, then you're inherently saying that your readership is cheaper or not as valuable as your time as the creator, uh, because when you're elsewhere, you don't want to be treated that way. So in this case, I think it's really a question of what's best for your business, yes, and what's best for the subscriber as far as whether you're going to implement something like pop-ups and slide-ins and yada, yada. Yeah. And they can they can be done more tastefully Definitely. in some cases than others. So um, whatever we've we've ranted about that we for have. years now. Yeah, uh, and uh, and people should do whatever they're comfortable with. So one thing I would definitely encourage everyone to check out is this concept of a feature box. And uh, this time last year, almost exactly October 2014, we at Fizzle implemented a feature box on our blog page where it was a big kind of, you've probably seen it before, a big green call to action at the top of the blog page that said, hey, get this download that we're offering for free. And it was kind of the highlight of the page, but it didn't take up the entire page. It was just very clear what we wanted people to do. Yep. And since implementing that, uh, we really went from kind of a flat or very small upward trend in email list growth to a very steady 
positive email list growth between there and here. And I think we've gained an exponential number more of email subscribers over the past 12 months than the 12 months prior to that as a result. Yeah, it's been really effective. Um, And there's no big secret to it. Nope, not at all. You have to, if you want people to subscribe to your email list, you have to make them very aware that they can and why they should. And um, a lot of people, I think, err on the side of um, making it not as noticeable as it should be yep. and not giving them a good enough reason. So um, so we made it super prominent and uh, we've tried out a bunch of different offers, but typically we're giving away a guide on a topic that we think our customers would enjoy. Now, something uh, another way to look at this is um, once you've been in business a while, you can make a direct calculation as to how valuable each email signup is to you. So for every person who enters their email address, that's worth something to your business because there's a conversion rate between an email subscriber and someone who eventually buys something. So for example, um, let's say that uh, you sell a product that's $100 and one out of every 10 people who signs up for your email list eventually buys that product. Then you can do the math and it works out that each email subscriber in that case is worth $10. So you should be thinking about this like, hey, you know, if I put this email uh, box over here or down here or whatever, it's like ka-ching, ka-ching. Um, when people sign up, um, that's money in my pocket. Um, as opposed to feeling like, oh, I don't know why I'm getting people to sign up for my email list. The reason is eventually those people are likely to buy. And um, email subscribers are far more valuable than Twitter followers or something like that. Right. It'd be really hard to figure out the value of a Twitter follower, but they're definitely not worth $10 or, right. or anywhere close to that. Yeah, and I feel like we mentioned this briefly earlier, but it might be important to touch on it again because I think it's such a good point. The, what we're talking about here is building trust, and it's so much easier and more authentic to build trust when you're you know, having an ongoing dialogue with someone and being in their inbox, as we already mentioned, is a, is a better way to do that because it's a sacred place, like we already said, but you have to have that trust in place so when you do go to sell something, it doesn't have that kind of slimy feeling to it. And it's yep. just so much harder to do that if you're on social media or something where it's just not as intimate, I guess. Totally. Yeah. So uh, for all of you out there who just listened to Corbett say that and you were like, oh my God, I would love to hear how to calculate the value of an email subscriber or a page view or a customer for that matter. Uh, I've added it to Corbett's to-do list sometime in the future to write an article on how to calculate the value of a customer an email subscriber, and a page view. So until then, feel free to harass us about it. (laughs) All right. So one other thing I do want to mention on the forms conversation, then we're going to wrap up with kind of a little bit of a projection or bets we're going to make on what the future of email marketing looks like, are that uh, on Twitter and Facebook, you are able to put forms for people to join your email list directly. And I think that's a pretty valuable tool these days. Uh, Twitter has something called Twitter cards that you can implement. And then every profile has the opportunity to pin one tweet to the top of the profile. And so for Twitter, what you can do is you can create a card for someone to subscribe to your list. And uh, there's a tutorial that we can link to in the show notes. Um, And then you would pin that tweet to the top of your Twitter profile to allow people to one-click subscribe to your email list. And that would link through to your email provider and they'd be added to your list just like anyone who uh, added themselves on your site. So that's a good tool. And then you can also add an email opt-in form to your Facebook page so that people who visit your page can click to another tab, put their email in, and join your list directly that way. So those are two good tools as well 
And there may be other ones out there like that. So be on the lookout for places, outlets, if you will, where you can put your forms for people to uh, add themselves to your list because every little addition like that can add up over time. Yep. Okay, so let's let's wrap this conversation up. And uh, I want to know from both of you, what do you think is kind of the next generation of email marketing or what's coming down the pike as far as how we should be using email marketing in business? And uh, what would you encourage people to do from here using these tools? I don't know that I have the, totally an answer to that. I mean, I guess nobody really does, but I will say that I think we're in an interesting time because in some ways it's getting a little bit trickier to be in the email inbox. You know, I know, for example, if we talk about Gmail, Gmail has some new features. There's a promotions tab now that some people run into where um, emails that Gmail detects are like automated, are getting put into the promotions tab and people might be missing some of those emails. On top of that, there's other tools that people use to manage their inbox, like Unroll Me. So even if you are having subscribers, I think it is getting a little bit harder to really be in front of people. So I think that, you know, those of us in this space are going to have to contend with that. And I think, I don't know that I know the answer to that necessarily, except to reiterate some of the things we've said, which is it's all about providing as much value as you can if you're going to be in someone's inbox, because a lot of us are subscribed to probably more newsletters than we want to be. If you're anything like me, I, I think I get kind of happy with my email address sometimes because some people have really cool stuff on their website and it's really easy to just throw your email in there. And in some ways we've been desensitized to that. But the people who really stand out to me in my inbox are the people who make, I've already mentioned this, but make it feel personal, make it feel like they're really care about adding value that I'm getting in the inbox that I wouldn't get by just following them and going to their blog URL or something. So I think it's just going to become increasingly important to provide really solid content that's valuable and helpful to people if they're going to open it when they just have so many choices. So in some ways, you're just kind of saying the way that the web is going to change is that people, like always, are going to continue to want you to be valuable to them in their inbox. Pretty much. And I hate to, I hate to boil it down quite so far, but I just think it's so true. I mean, I, I speak from my own experience with my inbox. I'm not very good at managing my inbox, pers- my personal inbox. So I know that the ones that stand out to me are really, you know, it's like, I think of, I already mentioned Jess Lively, hers stands out to me. I also think of like fashion. We talked a little bit about when I look at like Ann Taylor Loft, for example, and they are, they have a headline that's offering me a 50% off coupon code. That type of stuff's always going to stand out. So yeah. I think you have to think about what's, what's going to grab people's attention. And, when, and there are some really poorly written subject lines too. So yep, yep. you just have to think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Those no, are uh, those are definitely effective. I know I've given out my email address quite a few times um, in order to get the special sign up coupon for some totally. business. But then they can quickly sour the relationship with a bunch of um, a bunch of junk that you don't want to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to you have to balance it and be careful and and don't think that just because you got someone to subscribe means that you can treat them badly because they'll leave just as quickly as they signed up. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So for me, I guess I would say, I think the future is that email is going to continue to be a very valuable channel. Um, partly because it's overlooked. There's so many like new flavors of the day that people are really excited about, like Periscope or whatever. And um, email can kind of get overlooked, but it's one of the oldest functions of the internet itself. Um, It continues to be a tool that we all use on a regular basis, although as a team, we use it less because Mm -hmm. of Slack. But I guarantee that all of us are still in our inbox multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. And so I think you know every few years, people predict that email is dead for some reason and it never goes away 
because it is such a simple and valuable function. So I think the future is that it continues to be a valuable marketing channel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, email is the glue that kind of ties all these things together. If you're on Periscope, the best way to let an audience know that you're going to be there tomorrow is to email them. If you're selling a product, one of the best ways to let people know that care that your product is coming out is email. So I completely agree with both of you. I think it has to, it's going to continue to be valuable that in order for it to be valuable to you, you have to be valuable to your audience, just like Steph said. But I think a couple of trends that I would count on, that I would build an email strategy around, and that we probably will at Fizzle are number one, storytelling. I think that storytelling is, has been, and always will be an effective tool for engaging people and teaching them and helping them get exposed to new information and become interested in you as well. People are inherently interested in stories. And I think the more that you can tell good stories around your brand and around your product and around your customers, the more people are going to be interested in what it is that you're doing. The news every day is nothing but a set of stories that appeal to us based on fear or ambition or aspiration. So I think storytelling will continue to be key. I think curation is a huge, huge asset to people when it comes to email. If you can be a good curator of information, I think that you can be successful with email marketing. And I think the best newsletters on the web are just effective curators. And then they know how to organize that information for their audience. Uh, The third thing is personalization. I think that more and more we're getting access to easy ways to personalize the messages we're sending to people. And so if you pair something like personalization with curation or storytelling, you get this really interesting interaction of people being able to tell you what they want to hear about and then you being able to send them that information Mm -hmm. particularly, which I think is going to be a big asset to people and businesses. And the last thing is just respect. You know, when people opt into a group or a segment or a list or whatever, send them what they asked for and not what they didn't. Don't send them messages just because you have their email address. Send them messages because it's what they asked for and it's what they wanted and it's going to benefit the relationship as a result. Uh, Too often I think I see business owners kind of stepping over the line and saying, I know you bought this one product that one time and that's all that you're signed up to or to get product-related updates, but this one week I'm going to send you a marketing launch. Totally. And there's nothing more frustrating because now to stop getting that from you, I have to opt out from product updates and that's not what I wanted to begin with. Right. So I think respect is key. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Well, I've got just one other thing I want to mention. We had a really great article on the Sparkline blog this week. Yes. Um, by James Davis about how uh, the title is how two fantasy sports fans with no technical skills built a $250,000 per year business. And I just want to mention that email was a key part of their strategy. And in this article, um, James mentions that he followed the course that I put together inside of Fizzle about how to grow your email list to 10,000 subscribers and beyond. And indeed, his list is now up to about 9,000 people. Mm -hmm. Um, So that course um, is, I think, one of the most valuable inside of Fizzle. You guys can check it out for free. Uh, you can definitely finish that course in a week or two. No question, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so sign up over at uh, fizzle.co slash try five. You'll get five weeks of Fizzle for free as a podcast listener. And you can check out that course on how to build your email list to 10,000 subscribers and beyond and um, see if you can't build your list to 9,000 people like James Davis did. And we'll link to that article mm-hmm. in the show notes as well. Um, and finally... I would like to wonder where the hell is all this guy?
some strategic humor that Barrett was supposed to be dropping. <laughs> was there one today's, joke? There wasn't one freaking oh, joke, man. Barrett. See, but I made you guys question whether there was going to be a joke. I did. I almost, I almost said a dad joke earlier, but it wouldn't have been that funny. But it was. You were when supposed to commit there. there. Dad jokes when, aren't funny. That's the point. It was when Corbett said, "You have to think outside of the box." I almost jumped in with, "You mean outside of the inbox?" Oh, oh, you oh man! I know. I missed. Wow. I missed the cue though. I was he. he like <laughs> kept going too fast. You're the one who said. To ti- you're it. the one who said timing. Is I know, and that's why I didn't say it because the timing was past. The horrible. delivery would have been poor. So, anyways, uh, that's today's show. You know, I, I got to say something. We talk so much tactically about the courses inside Fizzle and the forums and the community and all that, but I don't know if we talk enough about our ambition for people when they join Fizzle. I think that we're really setting out to build the best place on the internet to learn to build a small business in today's world. And uh, I don't know if we give ourselves credit for that enough. I think that we, we really do care about you building a business that can support you and your family. And at the end of the day, that's, that's our mission here. That's why we show up every week. We're not just here to talk about email. We don't care about email that much. We care about email in the context of it helping you reach your business goals. Yeah. And so if, you're, if you've been looking for a place to start a business, if you've been looking for inspiration to get out of that job or make more money on the side or, or make a change in the world, maybe you see a problem that you really would like to see solved, Fizzle is the place to do that. We really think it's the best place on the internet to do that. And if you're waiting for a kick in the pants to try, it's literally free for you for a month. And I really wish that this week would be the one that you give it a shot and uh, give that idea some breathing room. Let it get out there. See what people have to say about it and uh, see if you can't get started. Yeah. So, and, and if you're looking for a case study on how what we teach helps people build businesses, um, read the article that I just mentioned. It'll be in the show notes. Go to fizzleshow.co slash 132 yep. for the show notes to today's episode. And um, you'll read this incredible account of how James Davis and his business partner built a $250,000 a year business based around something they had fun with, fantasy yeah, sports. fantasy sports. And um, throughout the article, he sprinkles in different ways that um, we helped him. And I got to say, we never helped these guys directly. They just used what we published and the courses yep. we created to build a really impressive business. And and mm-hmm. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. And if you guys go ahead and join, you get to hang out with me every single day. And I just, I don't know what would be more fun than that. Right? Come on. That was a good Come one. On. That was a good one, Steph. <laughs> Come on. Good one. <laughs> Come on, Steph. Nope, I love it. All right, uh, I think we have reached the filibuster period of the show. All right, well then, in that case, I have been Corbett Barr. <laughs> I've been Baird Brooks. I've been Steph Crowder. Whoa, that pause oh, block. Hey, yeah, oh. bring it back. <laughs> nice job, guys. All right. High fives all the way around. Yeah. Oh, what? wait, we'll, uh, we'll see you there. Or we'll see you on another time. I almost forgot. <laughs> it's all right. Oh, sad. So there you have it. The nuts and bolts of email marketing in 2015. We covered some of the high level tips we have for using email to help grow your business, as well as the approach or the attitude maybe that we think works best when you're building a direct relationship through your customer with your customers through something like email marketing. 
These were some of the most common questions we hear from our customers about email marketing, but we know there are so many more questions that all of you have about building a business. And the thing is, we love hearing from you guys. You can always ask a question that you have and we'll get to the answers on the air eventually. You can head to fizzleshow.co slash ask or shoot us an email at heyguys at fizzle.co. Or if you're a Fizzle member, you can always ask a question in the Q&A forums to get community feedback, and we might just answer it live on one of our shows. If you're at home and you want to follow along with any of the show notes, you can find them at fizzleshow.co slash 132. That's F-I-Z-Z-L-E show.co slash 132. If you like this episode or you just like us in general, which we hope you do, please leave us an honest rating in iTunes. It doesn't cost you too much, just a little bit of time, but it means the world to us because it helps other hopeful entrepreneurs just like you find this show. Simply search for the show in iTunes store and click write a review. All right, we know, we know, it's not easy out there. Building a business is sometimes thankless and tiring work. In fact, more often than not, it might be thankless, tiring work. But what we want you to know is that we're here for you. And we'll keep being here for you as long as you're willing to keep going. And we hope that's a very long time because we promise this journey is very well worth it. There might not be anything in the world more fulfilling than building a business you believe in. And you can bet that we believe that ourselves. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next Fizzle Friday.